Well, um, we're going to continue a series that I started last week called Blinded Mind, and we're going to be talking about how we can become blinded in our mind about a lot of different things in our lives that keeps us from, from connecting with God and with others the way God intends for us to. So I want to start by telling a story. Thomas Lindbergh tells this story of two shopkeepers who were very um, bitter rivals in their businesses, and their stores were uh, directly across the street from each other, and they would spend each day kind of keeping track, looking out the window and seeing when they saw, you know, customers go into their store and and uh, and just kind of keeping an eye on that kind of things. And if one got a customer, he would smile in triumph at his rival. Well, one night, one of these uh, store owners had an angel appear to him in a dream and says, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, the other shopkeeper will get twice as much. You want to be rich? You will be rich, but that person will have twice as much as you do. They'll be twice as wealthy. If you wish to live long and a healthy life, you can, but his life will be twice as long and twice as healthy as yours. So what's your desire? The man frowned and thought for a moment, and then he said, here's my request. Strike one of my eyes blind. You have to think about that for a minute, right? So that means the other guy would have both eyes out, you know, right? Now that seems crazy. Why would somebody choose to be blind rather than enjoy riches, rather than enjoy health, but they would rather be blind in one eye than to have somebody else have success? What kind of envy, what kind of envy or what kind of person, you know, gets to that point in their life? about somebody else. Have you ever been envious of someone because they had more success than you, maybe that you wanted, or because they got the recognition or the praise that you wish you had? You don't have to answer that. But even if you have, you probably won't admit it. And even if you have, you probably it probably did not lead you to, hopefully, this consuming anger towards that person for a long period of time, the kind of anger that would maybe even lead you to do something violent towards that person or even kill them. You're like, what in the world, Greg? Whoa. Well, we're going to read a story today. It's one of the oldest stories in all of Scripture that we read about in the very first part of Genesis, and it involves two brothers. The first two brothers that we read about in history and how envy and jealousy blinded and consumed one of the brothers. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And listen to what Moses wrote in this account. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? 
The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now this is one of the first stories, again, like I said, that we read and hear about when we're introduced to the Bible. And that's kind of scary when you think about it. You're introduced to the Bible and shortly after that you get to read about a murder that happens between two brothers. I mean, that's kind of a scary thing when you think about it. It's a tragic story. It's a, a violent story. It's a disturbing and scary story, isn't it? Say, how did this happen? How did in this, this first family it end up where a brother murders his own brother? Now, we know Adam and Eve had been banished from this perfect world, this perfect garden of Eden where everything was perfect and there was no sin. There was only one rule. You can eat of all these trees in the garden, but of this one tree, do not eat. But they were lured into it by Satan and they were led to believe that God couldn't be trusted and that they could be gods themselves and they fell for it and then sin entered the world. And sin not only entered the world, but sin separated Adam and Eve from that intimate fellowship that they had walking with God every day in the cool of the garden that they had before this as God their creator. And then you remembered they were scared and they hid themselves. And so sin continued its work in humanity including Adam and Eve's children. It didn't just stop with them. But surely Adam and Eve warned their two sons. Surely Adam and Eve said to Cain and Abel, you need to understand this. We made this mistake. This is what we do with our kids, right? Don't do the things that I did. Learn from my mistakes. We try to tell our kids that. And so I'm sure they said, look, God gave us rules. He gave us standards, and we have to be aware of those. And we're going to think that we know better, and Satan is going to tempt you just like he did your dad and I. And you've got to be aware of that and be ready for that because it will surely put you in a bad place like it did for your dad and I. So last week, we looked at Paul's letter to the Romans where he wrote this in chapter 1. I'm going to refer back to that in this series. And Paul is saying, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And notice Paul says at the beginning there that since the creation of the world, and Cain and Abel are closer to that first part of creation of the world when it was first started, they saw these qualities firsthand in the world. They saw God's qualities. Cain and Abel knew that there was a creator, that there was a God. And as this story shares, Cain, for whatever reason, chose not to glorify God and not to give God thanks. Or at least it wasn't a sincere glorification of God or thanks to God. And Abel, on the other hand, did glorify God. He did give thanks to God. But Cain's thinking somewhere down the line became 
as Paul talks about this, you know, this futile talk, this futile belief system that he had. And his foolish heart was very darkened. Now, I want to talk about comparison just for a minute. Now, comparison can be a valuable thing. We do all, we all do this, right? Don't you comparison shop? You know, when I'm getting ready to buy something, whether it's tires for the car or whatever, I go to, and I Google it, right? Or I go and say, what are the, you know, what other people that have bought it, how, how do they rate it? We go to the ratings and we look at all those things. We comparison, and that can be helpful to us in shopping. But comparison can also be a very destructive thing, can it? When you're talking about comparing people, one person to another person, your actions to my actions, your evaluations or your judgments, your assessment from my actions to someone else's actions, it can lead to anger, it can lead to jealousy towards the other person, and maybe it should motivate us to do better. Now, when we're compared to somebody else, and we do this all the time in our culture uh, through social media, don't we? I mean, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I hit my you know my phone to see what I missed during the night and invariably there's something on some kind of post on some kind of social media talking about look what vacation these people just went on look what they did last night and I'm like I'm a loser <laughs> I'm not I didn't have that much fun last night I didn't go on that I didn't eat that I didn't go there and so we feel like oh I guess I'm missing out or you have this kind of anger well good for you I'm glad you have time to do that because I don't because I'm doing the Lord's work or something, you know, something silly like that. We come up with these things, but sometimes we can get anger or jealous or envious that people have. And so this comparison thing can be a bad thing. It can create feelings of inadequacy, sometimes depression or anger or jealousy. Sometimes it can motivate us to do better, though, can it? When we hear of someone who doesn't have maybe the same physical abilities that I do or the same mental abilities I do, when you hear about amazing things that they have done in spite of those not having those things, you go, that is unbelievably inspiring. They don't have all this, but yet look what they're doing. And that should inspire us, maybe saying, compared to what they have, I should be doing more. And it can maybe motivate us sometimes. But most of us have probably experienced something like this in our life where someone is compared to us. Maybe it was a sibling by our parents or our grandparents or a coach or a teacher trying to maybe motivate us. Whatever it was, whatever happened, sometimes we feel like, well, they were the winner and I am the loser. They are the successful one and I am the failure. And sometimes we're motivated to do better, but sometimes we're not motivated to do better. Sometimes we can become like Cain, we become downcast, we can become angry that it's not fair, and that person who's doing the right thing the right way, I should be doing that, but I'm not. Why is that? So why is that that we have those feelings? Is it just human nature? Is it really even logical for Cain or anybody to have anger because somebody else is doing the right thing? You know, it's kind of like that mentality of that person should stop doing the right thing and start doing it the wrong way so that I don't feel bad about myself. Have you ever thought about that? You ever had somebody in your class who's making good grades and you want to go, dude, stop. <laughs> you are ruining it for the rest of us. You ever been working somewhere where, you know, everybody's seeing this guy's working hard and you're like, dude, stop working so hard. And I'm sorry for any of y'all that are in unions, you know, it's like, oh, you know, stop, man. You're messing up the system here, okay? All right? So we kind of have, but that doesn't make sense. Stop working hard. Stop doing the right thing because I'm feeling bad about it. But that's part of what's wrong in our culture today, y'all. God sets a standard, and if we don't like the standard, I don't need to change my behavior or my thinking. You need to change the standard. 
And that's not, God's not going to change his standard. He goes, the standard is for you. It's what's best for you. You need to change your mindset and your behavior. But our, our world has it backwards when it comes to that. So Cain wasn't willing to change his mindset. And y'all think about this. He's literally talking to God himself over this situation, isn't he? God is talking directly to him. He wasn't willing to change, so his decision was, I'm going to eliminate my brother. I'm not going to change my thinking. I'm not going to change my behavior. God told me to do the right thing, but I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to eliminate. I'm going to kill my brother. Do you see the deception here, the crazy thinking? Cain's mind is blinded by envy and jealousy, so he believes that by eliminating his brother, his problem will be gone. And all this, again, with God speaking directly to Cain. He noticed that Cain was downcast and angry because his offering was not acceptable. God notices. He's a personal God. He goes, you're angry. You're downcast, Cain. I don't like to see you that way. That's not what I created you to be, angry and downcast. So he goes, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now notice this, y'all. God doesn't say anything about Abel. Like, why can't you be more like Abel? Does he say that? He's not comparing at all. Who's doing the comparing? Cain is. That's what we do in life. God's not comparing us to other people. He's comparing us to the standard. But notice, he's saying you just need to do what is right. He simply challenged and encouraged Cain. You know the right thing to do. This is what what you need to do. Now, we don't read many details about the two brothers' offerings and actions, just very little. What we do read is that Cain and his offering, God did not look on favor with him. Not only with the offering that he gave, but also, obviously, how he was living, because he didn't look with favor on Cain. But God did look at Abel and his offering and his lifestyle with favor. Something was going on. Now, there was something that made it obvious that God looked on favor on Abel and not Cain. Now, we're not sure about this, but I read a lot of interesting stuff this week about this passage. And one is, is there were some uh, extra stories that come out of this in the, in the, the Jewish um, culture about, uh, about Cain and Abel. And one is, is that y'all know where uh, in Isaiah or in Elijah, when he's on Mount Carmel and God rains down fire on the offering and he just consumes all of it. Well, they believe that maybe God had consumed Abel's offering. So God knew, uh, they knew it was acceptable to God and he did not consume um, Cain's offering. And maybe that's something. We don't know that for sure, but we know that there was some kind of way that, that he knew that my brother's offering is getting accepted and mine is not. We don't know, but there was a difference there. What was the difference? Did you catch that in our text today? Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. He just brought some. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the fat portions. Abel brought fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. And I know that's different animals and agriculture. That's a different kind of thing. But you see the difference. And here's something else interesting, y'all. There was no law of Moses yet. Think about that. Like, were we supposed to bring offerings? That's in the law of Moses. Well, there was no law of Moses yet. Moses hasn't even been born. So how did Cain and Abel know that they were supposed to bring some kind of offering to God to acknowledge him as God? Did God teach them that? Did God require that? Was this some of the form of the earliest form of worship, I should say? Was this some kind of way to acknowledge God? Well, it sure seems to be, doesn't it? It seems that 
Adam and Eve must have taught their boys about it's important to offer something to God, some kind of sacrifice to let him know that you understand he is the creator and the sustainer. Now, you remember when Adam and Eve realized they were naked, God provided something for them. What was that? With some skins, right? Some animal skins. Well, what? who had to give up their life for those animal skins? Well, an animal did. So apparently, this kind of maybe started the first sacrifice that we read about in Scripture is that because God did that now, He expected when there was a sin, there needed to be a sacrifice. And that's what kind of got all this started. We don't know that for sure, but we're just kind of speculating there. But it does seem that Cain certainly wanted God's favor. Even though he wasn't living like he should, even though he wasn't worshiping like he should, he wanted God's favor, and he wasn't doing it. So he ignored God. God specifically told him, without comparing him to Abel, going, you know the right thing to do. If you do the right thing, you will be accepted, so do the right thing. But if you don't, you won't be accepted, and sin is always there crouching at your door. So he ignored God, he killed Cain, and even his reaction to his punishment, did you catch that in our text today? Was he sorry? He didn't seem sorry to me. He's like, oh no, my life's going to be terrible now. Really? You just killed your brother and you're worried about you're going to be a wanderer now. And even God showed him mercy and goes, no, I'm going to put a sign on you. And I don't know what the sign was, y'all. I don't know what it was. A lot of people ask that question. But there was some kind of sign where if anybody tries to kill you, there will be sevenfold. But he had to live this life of a wanderer and he was bemoaning that. Not, what have I done? I'm so sorry, Lord, that I killed my brother. He just sees bemoaning what his next uh, life, the life's going to be after this. Now, a question I want to ask you is, do you believe that Cain and Abel really lived? Were they real people that really lived? Because I hear a lot in our culture, and I read through things, even in social media, where people go, well, you know, it's just a bunch of stories that were written by men. I got news for us all. Everything that we have was written by a human. All history, or spoke through um, oral, that's how we got all of it. So, you know, to try to say, well, this isn't accurate because it's by a person. Well, actually, all of it came. So anything we know came from somebody else. But this is the, always the litmus test for me. If somebody really was real in the Bible, did Jesus talk about them? And so Jesus talked about Abel and Cain. Did you know this? So we're going to read from Luke chapter 11. And in chapter 11, Jesus is unloading one day on the Pharisees. He's upset with them because he recognizes their worship of God and their gratitude towards God is not what it should be. And they're the leaders. They're the religious leaders. And Jesus is going, you are supposed to be the leaders and you are not leading people towards God. You're leading them away from God. And he's upset about this. And he says what's called these seven woes. And in Luke chapter 11, he says, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them so you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did they killed the prophets and you build their tombs because of this God in his wisdom said I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute therefore this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets Prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Isn't that interesting? Thousands of years before Abel, and Jesus even says, a prophet. How was Abel a prophet? He was a prophet to his own brother. He's really been a prophet to everybody that's ever read this story, if you think about it. 
about what can happen when we go outside of what God. So Jesus specifically mentions Abel, so we know he was real. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4 in the New Testament, it says this in the roll call of faith, that chapter where we talk about all these faithful people from history. And it says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Isn't that amazing? And that's true, isn't it? Today, we're talking about Abel, a dead man, and we're saying, what can we learn from that? That means he was a real person, and they're still talking about him. The Apostle John, in his first letter towards the end of the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So God included this story for a reason. There are valuable lessons here that humans have benefited from every time they are read. Rick Warren once said this, Envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. Think about what envy can do. Ignoring God's goodness or resenting God's uh, goodness to somebody else and ignoring what God's done for me. But we can sometimes be blinded by the compromises that we set up in our own world, don't we? We set up these compromises. Again, God did not set up this comparison that Cain was so angry about. God does not set up comparisons in our world. He doesn't say, why, don't, why aren't you a better preacher than Andy Stanley? What's wrong with you, Craig? He doesn't do that. I do that. I'm the one that does silly things like that. God put me in a spot. God put Andy in a spot. God put somebody else and put Martha Wade in New Guinea. And there's all these kind of things. But we set up these comparisons. But God sets a standard for us, for all of humanity. He says, that's the standard I hold you to. Not somebody else, but the standard that I've set up. And those comparisons can blind us to seeing our value and our worth and our role in God's life and what God created us for because we're comparing it to somebody else. He said, well, what are you doing that for? I don't need you to compare yourself to somebody else. And we can let that blindness affect our worship, our thanksgiving to God, our whole life, and that's exactly what Cain did. Now, he could have repented, turned around, changed his thinking, changed his behavior and his actions, but he didn't. Right after God told him to do the right thing, what did he do? He went out and killed his brother. What in the world? Shows you how blinded his mind was. Paul, in the seventh chapter of that second letter to the Corinthians, says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. For the rest of his life, Cain had to live with that sorrow, with that regret, as he wandered. And every time he wandered somewhere, he knew, I'm wandering because I killed my brother. He had to live with that. Notice that God was speaking to Cain about his anger and his countenance with this great illustration. He said, sin is crouching at your door. You ever thought about what a great illustration that is? When we see an opportunity for sin, it's like a door we go through, and it's just crouching at the door, waiting for us to go through it so that it can, it's kind of hiding, it's kind of spying on us, waiting for the right opportunity to jump out and overtake you. You ever been going through a door and somebody jumps out and scares you and it scares you to death because you're not ready for it? So that's kind of like what sin is. It's ready to jump out, overtake you, own you, and control you. Paul later understood how this works. Centuries later, he said this. 
He says, so I find this law at work, and this is a great chapter for y'all to read, Romans 7. Paul basically says, why do I keep doing things I don't want to do? There's things that I know are wrong and I don't want to do it, but I find myself doing them anyway. Why do I do that? And there's things I want to do that I know are good and that are helpful and are right, but I find myself not doing those. What is wrong with me? And I'm going, Paul, I identify with you, bro. I understand how that feels. And so Paul is saying, I understood what God was saying to Cain that day. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, Paul understands that. And I'm going, you're right, Paul, that's how it feels. I want to do it. I need to be saved from this body that's subject to death. I need to be rescued. Because do y'all do this? I mean, all of a sudden you're just thinking of something. And you're like, why am I even thinking about that? Why am I thinking the worst possible scenario and thinking about how I'm going I'm to, well, as soon as they say that, I'm going to say this. Have you ever done these conversations? I'm going to go, you're a nut, Craig. Maybe you don't. But I sit there and I catch myself going, why am I inventing situations before they happen? Well, that's sin. That's Satan trying to work in your mind and your heart. And he's like, stop. But he says sin is crouching, waiting. James said this, the brother of Jesus said this, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Is that not exactly what happened with Cain? He was dragged away, he had this desire to be better, but instead of repenting, he says, I'm just going to, there was that, well, just get rid of your brother. Satan put that in his mind and said, let's get rid of my brother. And it gave birth to death. And going back to God's conversation with Cain, he says, if you do what is right, he said, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at door, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Well, Paul just says, I can't rule over it. We know we can't rule over sin. But the reality is is that Cain couldn't rule over sin. The reality is is that his mom and dad, Adam and Eve, couldn't rule over sin. And as good as Abel may have been, as great as his offerings might have been, he could not rule over sin. And you know what, y'all? We can't rule over sin either. We want to, but we're blinded by the schemes of the devil, by the, the evil of the world that entices us away from the one who has ruled over sin. And the only one that has ever been able to rule over sin has been Jesus. And God knew from the beginning we couldn't do it. That's why he had a plan to bring Jesus into the world. He knew he, we would give in to sin and it would have us. It would control us. And that's why Jesus came. He was the only one who could rule over sin as a perfect, as a righteous, as a holy sacrifice. And by his wounds, by his death, by his sacrifice, you and I are healed. We're healed. We don't have to try to rule over sin because we know we can't. But God desires us in that act of Jesus dying and resurrecting. It shows us that God desires us to have, to have us more than Satan does. Satan doesn't really want to have us. He just wants to ruin us. Because he says he came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I do believe, or do we believe enough to glorify God? Do we believe that truth about Jesus loves us that much that we will glorify God and thank Him with our offerings and our lives? Now, y'all, I'm not just talking about offerings, like, oh, He's going to get on the offering thing. 
That's important. It's always been important from the very beginning that we show God something, an offering of some sort. And God wants that, but he wants more of our daily life, that the things that he's gifted and talented us with, are we really glorifying him with our lives? That's what he really wants. So what are you offering to God today? What am I offering to God? Just some of your life, like Cain did. I'll give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Or the fat portions, the best part of your life. And don't compare it to someone else. Well, at least I'm here today. There's other people that aren't even here today. See, there you go again, comparing. And that's what we do. God knows. But he wants your offerings and he wants your life out of an authentic love and gratitude. Not because you have to, but because you go, man, the God that loves me that much and created me, I want to do that. I want to do the right thing for him. Well, I want to close this morning with a a story out of the Chronicles of Narnia. A lot of y'all know C.S. Lewis's books. And this one comes from the the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in this particular um, uh, book and movie, it was also a movie, it's very... Uh, it's great that they're doing that. But in this scene, the children who you know who are going into this, they're summoned to this wonderful world called Narnia. And it's Lucy and Edmund and Susan. And, and uh, they team up with uh, this king called Caspian aboard this royal ship called the Dawn Treader. And during their journey, Lucy, who's the youngest, encounters this book titled The Book of Incantations. And this mysterious book boldly promises to provide an infallible spell to make you the beauty you've always wanted to be. And despite her vibrant faith in Aslan, which is who represents Christ, Lucy has always struggled with this deep wound. She feels inferior to and she feels jealous of her beautiful, beautiful older sister named Susan. So tempted by her desire to become more beautiful, Lucy speaks forth the spell in this book. And suddenly a mirror appears on the page directly across from the spell. As Lucy looks into the mirror, she realizes that her face has been transformed into the face of her sister. And she decides to tear out the page and hide it. So she does. But later in a dream, Lucy pulls out the page of the mirror and recites the words at the top. Make me she whom I'd agree holds more beauty over me. Suddenly in the dream, the spell works to transform Lucy into her sister, Susan. However, by being transformed into her sister, Lucy discovers that she never existed. As Lucy stands before the mirror, horrified, Aslan appears. And the film has this great conversation. And Aslan says, Lucy, Aslan, she replies, what have you done, child? I don't know. That was awful. But you chose it, Lucy, he tells her. I didn't mean to choose all that, Lucy answers. I just wanted to be beautiful like my sister Susan. That's all. Aslan tells her, you wished yourself away. And with it much more, your brother and sisters wouldn't have known about Narnia without you, Lucy. You discovered it first, remember? I'm so sorry, Lucy says sadly. You doubt your value, says Aslan. Don't run from who you are. Don't doubt your value. You see, we compare ourselves to other people because we start believing a lie that our value isn't worth anything. We doubt our own value. The world will tell us that. And we compare and all these kind of things. But God is saying to us, don't doubt your value. You are valuable to me. Don't run from who I've created you to be and to do in this world. So this morning, we're going to offer 
an invitation like we always do. There may be somebody here today that's maybe struggling with that. You doubt your value. You know what? Yeah, I understand God and I understand Jesus and all that stuff, but you just, you just don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. I don't need to compare your sin to somebody else's. What I do know is, is that when Jesus died on that cross, he canceled all sin from every person that ever was, right? It took care of all of our sin, and now we are looked at as the spotless person that God sees us now. He knows about all that, but he's forgiven that. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west, and now we are his child. We are reborn. We are resurrected into a new person that God always created us to be. So if you need to make that something that you need to do in your life today, we want to offer that invitation. You can do that today, or you can sit there and you can kind of go, yeah, yeah, and you can ignore it and you can just keep going. And that's okay. God is patient with us. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But every Sunday, we're going to offer that opportunity because we don't want anybody leaving here without at least thinking about it. You can turn your life around right now. God is speaking to you. I'm, I'm not God, but God is speaking to you just like he did to Cain that day. And Cain heard directly from God, and he went out and did something dreadful. And I hope today, if there's somebody here that needs to make a decision, you'll make that decision today. Or if you're looking for a church, and we're not a perfect church, we sin. But we come together and we remember, just like in that Aslan told Lucy, don't doubt your value. We're getting ready to go into a time of communion. And you know what? That communion time reminds us of our value, doesn't it? That Jesus loved us so much that he would die. to give it, to, He gave his life so that we could live eternally. And so we don't need to doubt our value anymore. We don't need to run from who we are. And so if you need to make one of those decisions today, we'll ask you to come while we sing this song. But if not, we're going to take communion together and remind ourselves of our value in Christ, through Christ. And if you didn't get one of those uh, bags, if you can slip, slip out during the song and you can um, uh, go get one of those. But you don't have to be a member of our church. If you are a Christian, a believer, we welcome you to be a part of taking communion with us. So let's focus on that. Focus today on our value, how God sees us is our value as we get ready to take communion together. Let's stand and sing as the praise team leads us. <clears throat>